0: Good morning all, my name is uh, Andrew, I'm a pastor on staff here at the Leewood campus and uh, if, I don't, if I don't know you, welcome. Uh, if I do know you, welcome as well, I guess. <laughs> it's hard to finish that one. Um, is anybody out there, you've heard of The Onion, this, uh, the online newspaper, The Onion? All right, one of you, thanks John. Um, it's like this online, sarcastic, you know, satirical, which is why I like it so much. Uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, And usually just so painfully true, I wanted to show you just one of my all-time favorite headlines. Here it is. Six-day visit to rural African village completely changes woman's Facebook profile picture. Uh, And uh, my favorite line in the article itself, Uh, reflecting on her trip, the young woman said, I don't think my profile photo will ever be the same, not after the experience of taking such incredible pictures with my arms around these small children's shoulders. Honestly." I can't even imagine going back to my old Facebook photo of my roommate and I at an outdoor concert. <laughs> Again, right, it's so funny, but also just so painfully true because so often our, our acts of service, whether they're, you're doing them uh, as, a part of, as a part of your church or your school or in your workplace, uh, they, they, so quickly those moments become much more about us and our egos and how it makes us look than about the people and places that we're actually supposed to be serving, right? Now, don't get me wrong, this, this uh, basic human desire that we all have to be helpful and to be a part of something larger than just ourselves is a good one. It's a God-given one, in fact. Uh, and part of the reason uh, God saves us in Jesus is to put, make us a part of his much larger plan, to fulfill that need. And part of what we're talking about today, you heard Joey read it, Uh, We're talking about the spiritual gifts, and part of the spiritual gifts is about how God gifts His church. He gifts each person with certain abilities to serve others well. Church is supposed to be a place where you use your gifts. There is no dead weight in the church. If there is, it's on us, not on God, because He has gifted every single person. This is a good thing, but so quickly, and here's my point, so quickly, uh, my gifts to serve God, to serve my church, to serve other people, they, they become efforts to actually just promote myself. And my focus shifts from the needs of the people that, I, that are in front of me or that are around me, to, to the, it shifts to the gifts that I have, right, the talents I have, that I need to platform, uh, that I need to showcase, that I need, that, that can get me ahead or can make me successful, whatever it is, it gets so ugly so fast. And it's this toxic, self-centered spirituality is what it ends up becoming. And the Corinthian church is right in the middle of this in chapter 12 of this letter. They are extremely talented and gifted church, no doubt about it. Uh, God has, incredi- has given gifts to this church in- to do incredible work where they are. But Paul is warning them that uh, they, there's a way. He's saying, he's saying, guys, there's a way to be incredibly gifted and absolutely toxic to your community. There is a way to be talented and perhaps even successful, but completely unfaithful to what God has actually called you to do. And Paul's basic point, really from chapters 12 to 14 of this letter, is this, if you don't think well about how and why God has gifted you, you will be spiritually toxic. You will misuse and you will abuse your gifts you'll be a disaster for your community. You will end up hurting much more than you end up helping. And that is why uh, we are starting a new mini-series today in First Corinthians. We're still in First Corinthians, but we're starting a mini-series four weeks on the spiritual gifts because we cannot afford to get this wrong. The Corinthian church was dividing over this issue, which if you've been around, that's kind of their their method of choice for dealing with conflict, right? Well, let's just split up. Um, But any student, this isn't just an ancient problem. Any student of church history will tell you that few topics have caused more division and more harm and more spiritual abuse than the topic of spiritual gifts. Nothing has changed here. What was entrusted to us for our good, just like the Corinthians, we have often twisted, in many ways, corrupted into something toxic. So we need to spend some time here. If you've ever thought, where should I serve in the church? Or how has God gifted me to serve? Or how do my gifts align uh, with my vocation? If you've ever asked yourself that question and you you wanna answer it in a way that honors God's design and the church family around you, we have to pay attention to what Paul is saying here for the next few weeks because that is exactly what Paul is teaching. So if you haven't turned to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, do that now. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, and I want to reread the first few verses. Here, here's how Paul starts off this, this conversation. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now what, what's Paul doing here? He's He's pulling the Corinthians back to basics on spiritual gifts. He's basically saying, okay, I know you're curious about spiritual gifts. He's probably responding to a letter the Corinthian church has written him. They've either brought up spiritual gifts or they've asked him a question. He's saying, I know we're going to get to that. But before we do, we need to talk about the basics. We need to talk about the Holy Spirit himself, how he operates and what his job is. And so in many ways, that's what we're doing this morning. Before we really dive into the spiritual gifts, we need to talk about the Holy Spirit. So if, you're, if you aren't a Christian this morning, or, in, or even if you are, my hunch is there are few topics more confusing than the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't help that the most influential English translation of the Bible, the King James Bible, often refers to him as the Holy Ghost, which just, just sounds terrifying and it communicates very little because the first thing we need to do when, when we begin a conversation on spiritual gifts, we have to remember that above all that stuff, all the gifts, the Holy Spirit is the true gift. This is our first, our first point. The Holy Spirit is a gift. More than everything else you have in your life, your leadership skills, your creativity, whatever you think you're good at, whatever you're actually good at, <laughs> whatever gifts you have... The the supreme gift in the Christian life is the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes this clear elsewhere in his his letters. I I chose one passage, Ephesians chapter 1. Here Paul's describing all the benefits that go along with a life that follows Christ, that, that has faith in Christ. In verse 13, he says, "...in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed." with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of that inheritance to the praise of His glory. And really, the idea there is whatever good things come into your life as a result of your faith, the Spirit is a guarantee of those good things, those gifts, those talents. Whatever, they, whatever comes, He is the supreme gift above all other gifts. Now, how exactly is the Spirit a gift? Well, the first thing I want us to realize together is the Spirit, you've already heard me say this, the Spirit is a he, not an it. The Spirit is a he, not an it, which is a part of the gift, and here's how. Lots of people, when, they, when you talk about the Holy Spirit or they first learn about it, the, the picture that kind of comes to mind is something like uh, the force in Star Wars. <laughs> it's this special, right, it's like the Holy Spirit is this special voodoo magic that God gives you when you have faith, and you can use it uh, for good or for ill, and that's not true at all. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's a divine person. He's one of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's a person who has your best interest in mind when it comes to your life. If he were simply a force or a power, like a genie in a bottle, we would no doubt abuse that power and end up destroying our lives because that's what we do. When we ask for the Spirit's help or His guidance or His wisdom, whatever we ask, we aren't asking a genie who will give you whatever you want, even if it's the worst possible thing for you in the moment. We are asking a divine person who knows what is best. That is an incredible gift in the life of the believer. The Spirit is a He who has your best interest in mind, not an it. Second thing, the Spirit is a he, not an it. The Spirit also glorifies Jesus and no one else. That's what he does. He glorifies Jesus and no one else. This is what Paul means when he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. And in verse three, that's why he says that. Jesus makes the same basic point when he teaches about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. He says, he, that is the Spirit, will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and he will declare it to you. Now, this is important because the Corinthians, by by means of their spiritual gifts, were living like having miraculous abilities or speaking in tongues was the whole point of the Christian life and was the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's saying that's absolutely not true. The Spirit's job in the world and in you as a Christian is to point to Jesus, to magnify him to glorify Him. And for our purposes, I think it might be helpful to think about the Spirit's job as like a flashlight. Um, don't press this analogy too far because, it, you know, every analogy ends up being heretical. But for our purposes, um, think of Him this way. When you're in a dark room, you need a, you need a flashlight to find your way. You've probably experienced that before. It's, it's indispensable in the moment. It's absolutely necessary. You cannot function without it, but it does you no good to turn on that flashlight and stare at the flashlight. Its purpose is to shine on another object, to make that object apparent and visible and approachable and understandable and knowable. That's what the Spirit does with Jesus. Without the Spirit, we wouldn't know Jesus. We wouldn't see Him. We wouldn't trust Him. We certainly would not believe in Him. The Holy Spirit is an incredible gift who not only makes the Christian life better, he makes the Christian life possible. And perhaps most importantly for our purposes this morning, that the Spirit is a gift because he lives inside you. When you become a Christian, when you come to faith, the Holy Spirit, he changes your heart so that you're able to know and love God the way you were designed to do, and he takes up permanent residence with you in a mysterious way. And Paul's already taught this in 1 Corinthians. We covered it several weeks ago. In chapter 6, verse 19, he, he says, Or do you not know that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. And uh, he's even more adamant in Galatians chapter 4. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know you are a son or daughter of God because God has literally moved into your heart. The Spirit is God's tangible guarantee that he wants to be with you forever, that he's committed to you, that he wants to be with you. He wants to know you and for you to know him. And as Christians, we have gotten way too comfortable with that idea. I mean, really pause and think about that. Of all the places God could choose to live. God who's outside of space and time in a way that we can't even fathom, who is so beautiful and perfect that if we were to gaze upon him directly, we would basically just disintegrate. He wants to live inside of you and me, right? We can barely sometimes stand each other. (laughs) He wants to live with us permanently, every second of every day because he loves you That much the spirit lives in us and among us. This is an incredible gift. And if we're going to serve faithfully and use our gifts wisely, we have to put them in this context. We cannot confuse the spiritual gifts for the ultimate gift, which is the spirit himself. So ask yourself in light of that, do you live like you're on your own? Or do you live like God lives inside you? Do you live like you're on your own? Or do you live like God has taken up residence inside you? Do you take too much credit for your successes and your giftedness in life and in the workplace? Do you, when you succeed, do you give thanks to God or do you find yourself patting yourself on the back? In your success, do you remember that the greatest gift is not Success. With God's presence in your life, regardless of your circumstances? And likewise, do you feel alone and abandoned when you fail or when you experience trials or when you experience rejection? Does that send you into a soul crushing, paralyzing depression? Or do you remember in those painful moments that there is one who will never leave you or forsake you? When you're tempted to sin or to do something you know is wrong, And you're caught in that moment, that debate in your mind, whether you're going to do this or not. Does God's presence in your life, in the Holy Spirit, factor in? Or do you find yourself thinking, no one's ever going to know if I do this? Or do you remember that God is in the room with you? Do you live like the greatest gift possible is already yours and there's nothing you can do to earn it? Or do you still chase after vain glory for yourself? Do you live like you're on your own or like God lives inside you? Because if we don't get that part right, that the Spirit is the true gift, we will corrupt the good things that he puts in our lives. We will. And this is where Paul goes next. The Spirit is a gift. He's made that point. He also, The Spirit also gives good gifts. This is our second point. The Spirit gives good gifts. You see this starting in verse four. Now there are varieties of gifts. But the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. Now, some of you are thinking right now, what in the world is Paul talking about? What I've never seen these gifts on StrengthsFinder, my StrengthsFinder portfolio, which is probably true. Um, that's why we're spending four weeks on this, and that's why three of them, Tom's preaching on. So, <laughs> but it may be helpful here to to define exactly what is a spiritual gift. It's a confusing topic. Paul does not pause to define that for us here. This isn't a perfect definition. That I'm about to share, but it may help us to think about spiritual gifts well over the next few Sundays, which I want us to be able to do. So, I'm going to, leave, I'm going to read this. I'm going to leave it up on the screen if you want to write this down. A spiritual gift is a Holy Spirit-empowered ability freely given to the believer for the purpose of serving others and building up the church for the common good of all. Not perfect, but, but it, it's helpful, and it, it's, it's purposefully very broad Because scripture really does not give us a complete list of the spiritual gifts anywhere. Paul uh, references them in several places. One is here in 1 Corinthians 12, there's another in Romans and in Ephesians. Some of the lists overlap, some of the the, the gifts that he lists overlap, some of them are, are different. Paul says things like administration and teaching and leadership and generosity, he calls those things spiritual gifts. And though, even though we may say that those are somewhat ordinary and they're not necessarily limited to the church, there are people outside the church that have those gifts, he also talks about what we might call extraordinary gifts like prophecy or tongues and healing. And Paul says administration and healing are both equally spiritual gifts without really explaining how. And a spiritual gift may be something that you've always had even before you came to faith but after coming to faith, your gift, it found a direction and a focus and an empowerment that it did not have before. Or it may be something that, that only came after you, you came to faith in Christ. You were given a gift that you'd never had before, and God started using it in your life and, and blessing it in other people uh, in, in surprising ways that you didn't anticipate. But, and we could, we could keep distinguishing these things forever, but for now, I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. Because Paul's, Paul's basic point here is that the same Spirit, one Spirit, gives all the gifts to the church. He says that over and over and over again. <clears throat> it's the only thing he repeats in the section, right? The same Spirit, according to the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, over and over. The Spirit gives us good gifts. They are not ours. They are not something that we have done. They're not something that we have earned. They are true gifts. And no matter what gifts you have, they are not your own. The Spirit, the same Spirit who gives all the gifts, has given you your gifts. The presence of gifts in your life should humble you, should humble me, because they're a reminder that they're a gift given, not something earned. And this also means if the same Spirit gives all the gifts, then the Spirit also unifies us through our gifts. We're on the same team. We're commissioned by the same Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are given so that we can work together, not against one another. And here's the irony for the Corinthians in all this. The Corinthians were dividing over this, over who had what gift, what gift was the most important, and what gift made you the most spiritual. And Paul's saying, the Spirit makes you spiritual, not your gifts. The same Spirit gives you your gifts no matter what they happen to be. And In my mind, it's like when a goalie and a forward in soccer are arguing about whose role is more important to the team. Well, everyone's important to the team. And everyone's gifted in, in a unique way to help the team win. And there's no such thing as an individual win in soccer. You either win as a team or you lose as a team. The same Spirit gives all the gifts to unify us, to put us on the same team. He also gives us different gifts. Paul lists all these gifts in chapter 12, not as an exhaustive list. Okay, there's no, no doubt there are more spiritual gifts than what Paul's listed here, but he does this simply to show there are all kinds of good gifts, more than he could possibly list, and we need them all. And for the Corinthians, if you didn't have the gift of tongues, this is kind of the sense you get from the letter, you were a second-class citizen. That was, that was their thinking. Uh, that's where Paul will go in chapters 13 and 14. For them, the Spirit had one, really only gave one gift, it's the gift of tongues. If you had another gift, it really was just whatever. And to a certain extent, that's still a problem in the church today. Some traditions have so valued the miraculous sign gifts, as they're often called, gifts like tongues or healing or prophecy. And admittedly, there's all different ways to define those things, but churches have been so enamored with those gifts that they've split over them. And they've taught, if you don't have one of these gifts, then you really aren't a mature Christian. And it's caused incredible harm and pain, harm and pain that could easily have been avoided if we just stopped and listened to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Spirit gives all kinds of gifts because all are necessary for the church. We need them all. And it's important that we know our gifts and use them well. So here's, here's the question in light of that. Do you know the gifts that he's given you? Do you know the gifts he's given you? Because the truth is, we, we're not going to be half as effective a church as we could be uh, if we aren't pursuing our gifts and using them in healthy ways. So I want to get really practical here for the next few minutes, okay? Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. He's written an article on discerning your gifts. We found it really helpful. There's a framework he gives there for how to do that, how to discern your gifts, We've adapted it a little bit, uh, but it, it comes from Him. And, and this is something I want in, front, in, the, in the forefront of your mind over the next few weeks. As you're thinking about, how am I gifted? Where do I go next? This, keep this framework in front of you, okay? And the first step is to look out. As you're discerning your spiritual gifts, look out. And by that I mean, what, needs, what are the needs in the community and the church around you? So look, look out. Now, I, I want to point this out. That's usually what we do last, right? As you think about where you're gifted, you think, well, what am I good at? And then how do I use that somewhere in, in the church? I can't tell you how many people I've disappointed in that conversation. Here's, where I'm, here's what I'm good at. Where should, what should I do next? And I say, I don't know. It's not, that the, it's not that what you're good at is unimportant. We'll, we'll get there. It's, that it's not the first question you have to ask as you think about discovering your gifts. So what are the needs in the church around you? Now, this, this could apply outside the church, to so the workplace or, or your home, but Paul's primary focus here is the church, so I'm gonna focus there. What needs to get done in the church? And when you find that out, go do that. Don't worry about too much about whether you're, you're, you feel fulfilled by it You'll, you can, we can worry about that later. So, wh- so why do we begin by looking out? It's not because, some of you are very cynical, it's not because I'm trying to manipulate you into doing the things that no one wants to do. But that would be a really good way to do that. <laughs> and it's also not to say that just because there is a need that you should do something. That's also not what I'm saying. There's actually a very practical reason for why we start by looking out, and it's this, you can't know what you're good at until you try it. What we often call our gifts and our talents, what we, what we mean by that is this is something I've tried before and I feel really comfortable with it. You may really be good at something else, but you've never tried it before, so you start by looking out. What are the needs around you and how can you serve? And you can try lots of things if you need to, that's okay. Okay. We are all called to serve, whether we're gifted in that area or not. God honors that. It's not a waste of time. It's fine. So you start by looking out, and then you look in. Look in. After you've tried a lot of things, you have a decent kind of sample size to work with, think about, reflect on your experiences. What came quickly to you? What did God seem to bless that you did that really shouldn't have gone as well as it did? (laughs) Ever had that moment? What excited you? What was easy to get passionate about and to work hard at? Now, now keep in mind, as you look in, the danger in looking in is that we often can confuse gifts with growth and character, okay? Gifts and Christian character are different. We're all called to grow in our character as we become more like Christ. You cannot say, in other words, I'm sorry I've been so impatient with you this week, that's just not my spiritual gift. <laughs> and you're, you're laughing because you've done it. Um, we should all be practicing spiritual discipline like prayer and Bible reading, for example, to grow in our character regardless of our spiritual gifts. So to help us, think, to help us look in well, we posted a, an online tool to our website. You should have gotten an email with a link to that tool this week. It's a spiritual gifts inventory. It's not perfect. No online form is going to tell you definitively what your spiritual gifts are. So don't look at it that way. It's just another voice, another input to help you think about this well. Maybe something from that will jump out at you that you hadn't considered before. So, so think about taking that. Finally, while you're looking out and you're looking in, always be looking around. Look around. What are the people around you and closest to you saying about your gifting? What are your leaders affirming in you? And maybe something you've never noticed before. Maybe something that you don't feel like you enjoy very much. But someone near you is saying, you're really good at this. You need to consider deepening in that. And you take that affirmation seriously. Or, and I know this is hard, but we have to be open to this. We, our community may need to tell us what we really, that we really aren't good at something. That we thought was a gift that's something we need to recognize is also for our good if someone that you trust that you're close to tells you hey you're really not as good at this as you thought and your first reaction is anger and hurt that's a sign that you've forgotten that the spiritual gifts are gifts they say nothing about your value. They say nothing about how God feels about you. You've over-identified with a gift, which is essentially what the Corinthians are doing, okay? So that, that's, where, that's when things get toxic. Don't over-identify with your gifts. Let your community speak to you. And, and I, I wish someone had told me on day one of freshman year in high school that I was a really bad football player It took me a year to figure that out, and if someone had just told me that, it would have literally saved me pain uh, that year. I wish that's a service to me and to you, even if it can be hard. It's so important to invite your friends and your leaders and your community, your parents, in discerning your gifts. That's why we're encouraging our community groups to process their spiritual gifts together, okay? This cannot be done In isolation, you really need other people. And really, hopefully you picked up on this. This whole passage is teaching us that our gifts are not even primarily about us anyway. The church should tell you something about your strengths and your weaknesses because your gifts aren't for you. And and, and this is the last thing I want on our minds this morning, okay? Our gifts are not for us. They are for everybody else in the church. The gifts are the Spirit's way of serving the church, not you. That's why Paul says in verse 7 the gifts are for the common good of all, they aren't about you. When we make the spiritual gifts about ourselves, that's when things get ugly. That's when churches split. That's when the Spirit is grieved, because that is not the model of service that we have been given in the church. That is not the model. Jesus was an incredibly gifted person, incredibly gifted. In fact, he might be the only person right to have all the spiritual gifts. <laughs> incredibly gifted. But Jesus' life goal was not to be served this is how he defined it, but to serve and to give his life, his gifts, his energy, his effort, his attention as a ransom for many, as a gift for all. And Jesus could have come. He really could have. And he could have said, "Look, look at me." Look at how gifted I am. Oh, you're a gifted administrator. I raise people from the dead. Good for you, right? Serve me. He could have, he, when, and notice when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, if you're familiar with that story, it was primarily around Jesus' incredible abilities through the Holy Spirit. Satan says turn these breads these stones to bread fly off the temple mount right show everyone who you really are how powerful you really are and then they'll follow you that was satan's temptation but instead Jesus emptied himself of glory and honor and took on the form of a slave and he used his gifts to remain obedient to death on a cross so that notice this we might the church might be lifted up with Him. You see, that's the model. That's the focus. Your gifts, your presence here is more about the person sitting next to you than about yourself. And if we lived like that, if we served like that, if we worked like that, if that was our aim and our focus, I'm not sure there's anything we couldn't do. May that be our vision these next few weeks as we journey through this together. Let's pray now to that end. Father, we pause and we give thanks for the gift of the Spirit within us. And in a culture that is so driven by gifts and talents and what am I good at and what does that mean for me? We pause and remember that the only gift that matters is already ours in faith your presence within us in the Holy Spirit. May he guide and direct the use of all the good things you put into our lives. May we do so to your glory and for love of one another. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.